Hello, everyone. You've just turned into Beyond Clean with Ace, a podcast where the cleaning industry talks about issues that are healthy, positive, and proactive. Now, in this series, my guest speakers and I will be discussing a most relevant topic. Well, while it's well new to some people, it's not new to us in the facility management. But it's come to, into a good focus here over the last uh, few years. Uh, the general public are kind of waking up about this. So what am I talking about? Indoor air quality, or as you'll hear us say today, IAQ. Now, this series of podcasts is brought to you by the Center for Education and Safety, sponsored by the uh, Department of Health and Human Services there in Missouri. If you're a manager, a supervisor, an owner of either a building service contracting business, an in-house maintenance operation, a school, any educational facility, basically any place that has a building, this series is for you. Who I am? Dave Thompson. I'm the director of the Academy of Cleaning Excellence, author of the new generation of cleaning and a past owner of a building service operation. You know, I always have a lot to talk about. Not everybody agrees with everything I've got to say. But we'll see if some people today can agree to talk about indoor air quality. And the first lady I'd like to bring on is Amy Roderick. Now, Amy is with let me get this up here. MSBA's Center for Education and Safety. And if you've got something to talk about when it comes to this series, go to Amy. <laughs> Hi, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having us on today. And like Dave said, my name is Amy Roderick, and I'm the director for Missouri School Boards Association Center for Education Safety. Our center serves all school districts in Missouri for their school safety needs through training, guidance, resources, and connections to organizations such as like the people you're going to meet today on today's webcast or podcast. And so I'd like to introduce our, um, our guest today, if that's okay with you, Dave. Go right ahead. I'll all try right. to stay up with you. Okay. So we have Marge Cole. She is Missouri State School Nurse Consultant from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. We also have Kyle Gurrell. He's the Director of Facilities for Lee's Summit School District, which is a district just right outside of Kansas City, Missouri. We also have Luke Gard. He's the Healthy Schools Program Manager from Children's Mercy Hospital. And we have Dr. Elizabeth Friedman, also from Children's Mercy Hospital. So welcome everyone today. Hello. Hi, thanks for having Hello. us. Well, you know, there's a lot of different things, and I was looking at something to kind of get the discussion started. I don't know if any of you know this. I figure you probably do, but yesterday was the International Day for Clean Air. And I was looking at a study that they put out, and it said that only 36% of the people in the workplace actually thought that their air was clean. That is a bad report. Now, I also looked at this and go, well, what are people concerned about? If they're not thinking that their indoor environment is healthy or from a clean standpoint in the, what they breathe, what are they concerned about? Interesting numbers here. And I'm looking at my chart because I don't want to misrepresent these here. 71% it was allergies. Now, as a COPD sufferer, uh, I can tell you, I understand that totally. 68% um, was about viruses. 
Now, of course, we're in the COVID era. Um, we've got all the other kinds of, but virus has been around for a long time. 68%, 66% was actually from headaches caused by these other two. And then 65% was fatigue. You know, so, you know, what I found interesting when I looked at all of this, it's, you know, indoor air quality is not just about putting in a HEPA filter in your filter system. It's one of the attributes, but Amy, I think that this leads to an open discussion about if people aren't happy, then how do we make them happy? I agree. And there needs to be leadership in this effort. So whether you're in a school, an organization, wherever you're at, like you said, if you have buildings, um, you need to take the lead to ensure those inhabitants and those visit visitors of those buildings have healthy environments to do those work and conduct what their business is in, in those buildings. And so, um, you know, from the Missouri School Boards Association perspective, that's one thing we try to um, impart upon our school leaders, those school board members and leadership is, is um, pave the way and allow your staff to create those healthy and positive environments by um, implementing some of those realistic strategies and, and common sense things that you can do to create those healthy environments. And I think you're right. There's a lot of common sense things. And as the report said, HEPA filters aren't the only thing. I know in one of our earlier discussions, uh, we were talking about different filters. I think, Luke, you actually brought up some different filters that, that Kyle was using. You said that in some kind of a survey or study? Well, and I'll actually turn this over to Kyle briefly, but he is, has done a wonderful job, what I would say, vetting the information that was provided by ASHRAE in terms of filtration upgrades. He actually did some testing and some measurements to determine if we do these upgrades, what does that ultimately mean in terms of airflow, overall ventilation rates, filtration rates, et cetera. And again, I'll turn this over to him um, to, to talk more on that. All right, thank you, Luke. Um, yeah, we we were looking for some real practical, you know, evidence, I guess, some data that could um, inform us before we jumped into any initiative to help improve indoor quality. And um, ASHRAE, which is the American Society for Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning, um, that's a group that uh, nationally makes recommendations on standards and initiatives related to uh, the indoor environment. And uh, they came out and made a recommendation to the country that a MERV 13 filter, we'll talk about what that means here in a minute, um, a MERV 13 filter would be recommended with this little caveat, they said, if your equipment allows. <laughs> and so, you know, the problem is people stop reading. They, they yeah, say, here, right. well, they, they said we need a MERV 13 filter. And, and that is a good thing. Um, the, the downside of that, the, the hard thing to communicate is that there is an inverse relationship between filtration and ventilation. And for a respiratory um, airborne issue that we're trying to solve, both of those, um, those criteria are very important. We need to have good filtration, but we also need to have good ventilation. So um, we did a real simple test. We just took a small unit, put a uh, more of a standard unit, a MERV-8 filter um, in the unit, measured airflow in the unit in the classroom, 
and then we we switched out and did a MERV 13 filter. So, um, you know, from a brand new filter on the on the very first day, there was a 12% difference in the airflow that we got into that classroom. Um, you know, not crazy, but you know, that still is a that's a significant drop in airflow on day hey. one. Hey, to, to somebody that has allergies and breathing issues, 12 percent is a lot. Mm hmm. Yeah. So then the, the next step was to measure airflow after a month. So you wait 30 days, which it would typically be, I mean, not even even big air handling units. You may change filters uh, once a quarter. Um, after a month, we saw a 25 percent reduction in airflow because the higher density filters, um, they're gonna become clogged much more quickly and reduce airflow much more quickly. So, um, you know, that was a pretty significant drop to us. And we, um, we decided to just stay with a more aggressive, um, you know, replacement cycle on our MERV-8 filters um, instead of just wholesale changing and reducing the ventilation. Whenever we talk about ventilation, um, and I'm going to go to the ladies here because I think, uh, uh, Margie, I think you're talking about um, in the nursing and and area. Do people really talk to you a lot about viruses and headaches, like this report saying? <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Um, uh, the the role of uh, school nurses by default are that help are the health expert in the school setting. And so uh, after COVID or while we were having COVID, our families, our school administrators and our public were saying, our school's a safe place to be. So it was up to us. Uh, and of course I brought in every expert I could find to say what would make a, a school safe? How can we make sure our kids are safe at school? And so, yeah, um, the school nurses have a role in this. We have a part of a role. None of us uh, have can do all any of this alone. It's all a team with many different many different people and many uh, with lots of different experiences. So, when Kyle and I love it when I talk with Kyle and Luke uh, because they make me think bigger and broader and help me help our school nurses think more than just. Uh, what we need to do. But yes, I think school nurses and school health services has a big place, to, uh, has a part, a significant part, but just a part. So I'm going to jump over to Dr. Friedman here. Um, whenever we're talking about these issues, we all have somebody to go to. And I think on the panel today, as I understand it, you're the person that these people are coming to. Yes. Um, well, sort of. So, um, you know, a, f a few of the people in the room came to me when um, schools were starting to have conversations about how to keep the environment safe and also um, simultaneously clean to reduce risk of spreading diseases like COVID. Um, because even with cleaning materials, um, there are risks for chemical exposure. So, so a number of people in the room came to me and, but I have a team and I have colleagues. So um, I'm certainly not 
the the one person, you know, Luke Gard, for example, who's also on this call, um, has been running our Healthy Schools program for a number of years. And so together we've been able to you know, talk about health and safe practices in school buildings and cleaning. And you know, that conversation's not only going on here, but it's been going on nationally. So the American um, College of Medical Toxicologists, for example, um, have had multiple webinars on how to clean safely without, um, you know, risking chemical exposure from using bleach incorrectly, for example. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's not just me. It's it's a lot of us. Like like Marge said, it's it takes a team. Yeah, and I think, folks, if you're listening to the podcast, unfortunately, you can't see all of us as we're talking. If you're watching the video cast. Thank you for being here. This is why we do it on both platforms because, uh, Amy, I think the whole reason that we're having uh, this podcast today is to educate people. Correct. And like they all said, all these questions, while indoor air quality, I think, has been important in the past, unless you're really dealing that environment, I don't think the, pan the pandemic brought it to light um, for lay people like me who really don't know a lot about indoor air quality, but it did trigger within us that we have an obligation to educate and try to get people thinking about that and being able to implement um, realistic strategies without breaking the bank and those little things that you can do to create those healthy environments for our students and staff and visitors in those facilities. Now, you know, something that I do here at the academy is I, I differentiate between education and training. Um, many people use these words as if they meant the same thing. And to me, they don't. Mm -hmm. Education is like Kyle was saying, they didn't read all of the information on the sheet. They didn't educate themselves as to all of the things. Well, that's knowledge. That's the education. The mm -hmm. training is then taking that knowledge and implementing it. And through implementing, Kyle, what you explained is, now we learn something through the training now I can train differently because I have the education. I see everybody nodding their head. I said something we all agree on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they, I think that's part of it. Our job is to educate those school boards and administrators, get them with that base knowledge where people like Kyle and Luke can come in that are experts and they are trained to train staff to do the work, to continue to educate those leaders to allow for budgeting and, and that financial support and all those other things that come with implementing those safe environments. Yeah, Dave, I'll just throw out there too. And I go back to Marge's comment about all of us have our areas, the lenses that we look through when we think about indoor air quality and the collaborative team that we've had working together on um, our educational tool um, has really opened all of our eyes. Mm -hmm. And, but I think if there's one silver lining, one thing, one positive that's come out of this is that we all think a little bit differently about what indoor air quality means. And we, you know, three years ago, two and a half years ago, we all thought indoor air quality was about viruses. And, you know, as we met and came up with educational tools, um, you know, frankly, we didn't really talk that much about viruses. I mean, it, it's so much of a bigger picture. 
And there are so many other influences out there. Um, the amount, the number of kids that are influenced by asthma will, you know, that so much of a, a larger impact than so many other things we talk about. Not that COVID isn't a very important thing to discuss, but um, indoor air quality is a big topic. And um, Luke has been, at least in the Kansas City area, has been, you know, beating the drum of clean and healthy learning environments for a long time, probably a couple decades, right, Luke? So Luke, I, you could share some things about how you work with schools just in in finding hazards in um, different areas that affect their indoor learning areas. So basically what happened is we have had a program for almost 17 years, almost the entire time I've been at the hospital. And it was based on the EPA Tools for Schools program, which if you're not familiar with it, you can go online and find some of those resources. There's excellent resources as part of that tool. There's walkthrough training videos, uh, checklists for staff to use, um, guidance on how to set up a program. The problem with that particular tool um, is in the state of Missouri, most nurses got acquainted with that tool when a kit got plunked down on their desk and they said, please implement an IAQ program. And nurses were already wearing 17 hats at that point. So this was just the 18th hat that they were going to wear as part of their job duties. And it became a daunting process. Um, so really what we kind of created our program for at the hospital is to be a facilitator um, in that area between what we know are those good resources, um, those national resources that founded research and the school districts themselves. So for a number of years, we've been working with local school districts. We go out and proactively assess their buildings using checklists. Um, we collect quantitative da data and measurements, um, including full ventilation measurements of every vent in the entire building to come up with air changes per hour, CFM per person, um, all of those things we have guidelines for. And then we make recommendations back to the school districts, which should improve basically the health of the facilities. And ultimately that should impact the health of the occupants. And the last thing I'll really say is the EPA does have some documentation out there that I would reference some of the listeners and watchers to. Um, I think the most recent one was from 2012, but it's an EPA document where they correlate or connect the healthiness of the learning environment to occupant performance, both student and staff performance. And we know if a child's sitting in a seat and able to breathe easily, focus on what the teacher is saying, they're going to be much more capable when it comes to taking a test and all those other things than if they're spending half the day in the nurse's office because they're having difficulties breathing. Now, folks, if you're watching the video cast, you might notice under the um, panel there is a scroll. If you would like to get in touch with any one of the uh, speakers today, you have their email address there. If you're listening to the podcast, we'll have it in the show notes below the um, the actual podcast. Um, Dr. Friedman, I know that you've got to go here this afternoon, and we appreciate your time being here. But I kind of wanted to come back to you and say, you know, uh, as everybody has said, we need to have other people around us that can help us with this. And I think so much of this issue is, is more learning than implementing. Uh, if we learn and we have the knowledge, then we can look for the ways to implement. Uh, am I off track there? 
actually say that's that's pretty spot on. You you set me up well. Thank you. Um, so one of one of the hats I wear is leading the Mid America Pediatric Environmental Health Specialty Unit, or uh, MAPESU for short. And one of our purpose, we're a network of of uh, physicians at academic institutions around the country, and there are ten of us in Mid America is um, here in Kansas City. And one of our roles is to support environmental health um, education and outreach programs. So especially since COVID um, and partnering with the folks in this room, we've been able to develop some really, I would say, not biased here, some strong um, educational fact sheets. Um, we put together a video as well. Um, and those, those are available on the Mid-America PESU website. Um, and I would say Luke has played a huge role, not only in producing the material, which is part of that education and knowledge, but helping to facilitate the implementation, um, guiding people from understanding the basics of how our um, HVAC systems work, for example, into how do we apply it into our specific school's needs. So I would agree we start with the knowledge that implementation phase, especially when so many of us are siloed and the people making decisions about investment are not necessarily communicating with those who are doing our facilities works. I think um, that implementation is also just such an important um, step to to acknowledge. And I, and I think from what Luke had said and Margie had said as well is that, you know, uh, nursing and, and, and the healthcare people kind of get stuck in between. You've, you've got the, the people that make the decisions based on the limited knowledge they have. You have people like Kyle, that's, he's more the, the implementer that goes out and implements. And then you have people that get stuck in between and uh, it's got to be Amy, you put all of us together for a reason. I guess that's what we're all here for is to learn, right? Right. right. I mean, we also learn from each other as we talk, do we not? Well, and that's what's been so valuable about bringing all these people together because the school nurses, for example, are really the boots on the ground. They know when not just students, but also the teachers and the other staff are being affected um, by something in the environment. Um, and for all of these different entities to be able to communicate effectively, I think that's really what's going to lead to, um, you know, change and sort of smarter practices. Margie, school started, yeah. and are we getting ready for a, a, a big wave of flu this year? I mean, I have heard this is, you know, I all of a sudden flu went away when COVID came, did it? <laughs> uh, no, our practices uh, went away. We were wearing masks and we weren't in school and we weren't uh, close to one another. So uh, flu could have still been here. We just didn't know about it because we weren't uh, hanging out together as we normally do. And we all now know very much that we should have been together, even with that we should have had better uh, communication. We know that our kids, kids not being in school was not good. And I love that the American Academy of Pediatrics and many of us here in Missouri said no, we need to make our schools safe, as safe as we can. And but kids need to be together and they need to be learning and they need to be in school. 
So our big role is to keep those kids in school and at the same time using all the tenants and all of the knowledge that we have to make that uh, safe. You know, the, Margie, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, you know, the problem here is that people can't see, touch and feel the things that we do for indoor air quality. You know, when it came to COVID and cleaning and disinfecting, they they could see us doing things. We could wear masks, we wear gloves, we could, you know, use all the chemicals that we wanted and everything. Um, and as you said, we could keep everybody out of there. And then all of a sudden we all, we all learn. This is education, folks. So yeah. how do we get people to to wake up, Marjorie? You're, I mean, you're going to get right in the middle of the hot fire for here in just a few months. Kyle's, Kyle's smiling over here like school started. Yeah, she's getting ready to get them all. Well, we 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 are hearing from our school nurses that we are having some outbreaks. That's true. But the thing that I I wanted to say about this conversation, I wanted to say is that here in Missouri, um, we have 500, 545 school districts. 40% uh, of those school districts have 500 or less kids in that school district. So we have some, maybe 4% uh, of our school districts are very large and have large populations and are very sophisticated and have a lot of facilities and a lot of, uh, a lot of infrastructure. My focus has been on those very small school districts, those that have 500 or less right. uh, kids in K through 12 and they're uh, 20, well, about 30% of our school districts have 500 or less kids K through 12. So they don't have the infrastructure the rest of us had. And so one of the things we want to do is to make sure that they all have that same information. And that is our responsibility as the public at, at public health is to assure that all kids are being safe. So one of the things all of us have been involved in on this, in this panel and this, this uh, group of people you have together is what we're calling Mo Kids Teams. And the uh, kids part is keeping infectious diseases out of schools. And the teams part is our education part. And in that we're having focused conversations at the school level. So for a very large school district, it might be a school building or with or the school administrator. In our large and our smaller school districts, it's going to be the same. But the people are the uh, non-traditional folks that all have the content information that we need. So we have a school nurse, we have the facilities manager, we have an administrator, a school administrator, but we're also bringing into that group the public health representative and a pediatrician. And that group is sitting and that's when the magic happens. We sent that group in a, in a, uh, ta at a table in the school district with a structured format, a questionnaire that they fill out together. They have a focused conversation about schools and and infection control practices and indoor air quality practices and cleaning uh, protocols and procedures and we have that focused conversation among that group because every one of them does something different but we're piloting this we think it's the right way to do things and it always has uh, a very large compendium of um of references, the evidence-based references. So our larger school districts know exactly about ASHRAE and where to go, uh, where where everything is. And we're giving them that information because, you know, we can't do it all, but we can bring everyone to the same, to lead. We can lead everyone to the right place. And, and that's what we're all trying to do and then help one another. 
Amy, from an administrators, I mean, you get to deal with them uh, over there quite a bit and talking with them. Um, we're spending the time to do the podcast today. Uh, how do we get them to listen to this information? You know, I think the thing is, is they need to have that understanding. And Kyle, I think it was Kyle that said this one day that you need to assess before you treat. And so I don't, the, our leaders in schools are being inundated by all of these predatory vendors um, thinking that they have the best solutions for all these schools. And if we don't educate those school leaders, they're really engaging in some financial purchasing that's really unnecessary and detrimental to the school system and to their budgets. And so, you know, we're trying really hard to educate them that, you know, start simple, start common sense, start what's realistic, understand that and start with some assessments like Luke was talking about. Assess what you have before you start, you know, implementing some things and, and doing it the right way. And so, we're really trying to gear our leaders into that assessment and looking at that world and then using those tools to make those financial decisions and make those planning decisions um, for the future. Yeah. Luke, you, Luke, you and Kyle probably saw a lot of this, you know, as all of us did, but you're, you're right out there doing that. Um, there, I mean, COVID came out and literally everything came out of the woodwork and we threw it at it so quick that we didn't assess, we didn't learn anything. You know, as Marjorie said, we, you know, we're now we're learning that we shouldn't have done some of the things we did. Um, I mean, I don't want to beat anybody up here on the podcast, but yet on the other hand, we did some things that we really shouldn't do other than stay away from school. I, I hear that. But I mean, what, what are some of the things that you learned in the last two years with IAQ? Uh, I, 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 before we get into that, there went the doctor. <laughs> okay, so what what are two of the things that some of the things that you saw that we don't want to repeat again? Well, I guess, and I'll just jump in here, Kyle, and I'm going to turn this over to you and Marge again, both. But I think one of the values of what I think is going on in the state of Missouri is it's unique in that you've got all all three of what I would call the three key players, the facilities, the administrators, and the healthcare providers in that, that the nurses are involved in this discussion. And so what Marge's checklist, her team's checklist, what they have developed, it, it's valuable during COVID, but it's going to be valuable for monkeypox. It's going to be valuable for the next thing that comes down the road that we're not even familiar with yet. And to turn this back over again to another checklist that was created on the facility side, what we did there, again, that is going to allow those facility folks to assess their buildings. And again, it may be specific to pandemic right now and what's going on with COVID, but it has ramifications well beyond that um, in terms of if you do ventilation upgrades in a building, that's going to impact the entire population. Um, so you've now provided everybody in the school from the teacher to the nurse to the principal to every student a, a better environment to work, play, learn in. And I think these checklists, and again, the work that's happening in the state of Missouri is so unique because it's being done on multiple fronts, but it's it's looking beyond just the pandemic. And Kyle, I will turn this over to you briefly just to talk about that checklist, because again, that gives the facilities folks an opportunity to assess what their issues are 
and then make future decisions based on that information that they gather. You know, Kyle, when you get into doing this assessment, I want to see, is there any assessment that you're doing on when a run, people run a vacuum cleaner and they're using these, what, what, what I call dime store? Of course, there's not many dime stores left anymore, right? Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I'm dating myself. But I mean, you know, they're using these inefficient vacuums, blowing this dirty air into the room, and then your HAVAC system, uh, you know, if you really study what's in dust, you don't want to be breathing dust. <laughs> I, I, I like to see some assessments on that. Yeah, you know, we haven't tested specifically vacuum uh, particulate, but uh, we routinely, um, at the requests of people, when there's been a question about indoor air quality, we, we go out and, and sample particulate. And... Uh, primarily, uh, you know, mold and pollen, that type of thing. And I could say, I just cannot remember a time that we've ever done a test where the levels of, of particulate inside our building were greater than what you have actually outside. So, and that's because our buildings, commercial buildings, they're all filtered. Um, our air is filtered. And so all of that particulate, whether it comes from a vacuum, whether it's um, walking in with people on their clothes um, or coming in through the airstream um, from your outside air, um, it is gradually getting filtered out. Um, but generally speaking, it's a positive in today's world of engineering that um, generally speaking, we have less pollen and, um, and mold floating in the air inside our buildings than we do outside. Mm -hmm. Margie, so, those you're, you're shaking your head. I think you probably were thinking about some students that are bringing that in with them, right? <laughs> well, I'm also thinking about that we know right now, this is, this is asthma month. Um, mm -hmm. We have 80,000, 82,000 kids in Missouri with asthma that we know about in our schools that we're managing. That's just the ones that tell you and that have been diagnosed. Yeah, yes. Those are the ones that, and so we know that how important the playground is and when the kids go out and play, but we also know how important it is for them to be in an in air and in a classroom that's um, that's filtered and is as safe as it can be. And I, I also want to say, I was just thinking about Amy and we were talking about our, our checklist and all. Amy asked us all a real hard question at the beginning and she said, I need a list of the smart questions for a school board member to ask about indoor air quality. So she asked, she, she wanted to make sure she was setting up the school board members and, the, and, our, and our executive councils on uh, to know how to ask the right question and what to look for in the, and the answer to that question and to help her people look, her people, our people look smart. So, you know, any good woman's going to help every good, every man look smarter, you know, so uh, you probably need to take that out. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm not taking that out, Margie. This is a good podcast. <laughs> now we're warming up. <laughs> but I thought, I thought it was really good that when she asked Kyle and Luke to, you know, give us, you know, give me a, a cheat sheet, give me a list. And that's how we help everybody get more successful is that we inform them. And I thought that cheat, I thought the cheat sheet or the list was a very good one, Amy. Yeah, Margie, before you before you brought that up, I was actually just thinking, you know, there's a, a lot of lay people that are going to listen to this podcast or watch our video um, that don't know 
what a school nurse knows, and that's whenever a student um, has a medication, you have to keep track of that as a nurse, and that, you know, it would be interesting anyway in the knowledge area you know how much that we didn't see asthma medications being used during the COVID era and what we're going to see now being used uh i think is going to be an interesting little bit of information yeah i think dr friedman can tell you that uh and i can't cite the the studies right now but we know that during COVID. We had very few, uh, much uh, real decrease in the number of children with asthma visiting the emergency room for uncontrolled asthma. Uh, the, it was more controlled because they were at home and they were not uh, in, in other areas that were would have more allergens to them. So uh, we know that kids were more controlled with their asthma and diabetes uh, when they were at home. So Amy, um, Margie set you up here <clears throat> by saying that you have a list <laughs> a, a, a list of little touch points that that you got from the two fellows here. So uh, can can we get a few uh, hints maybe uh, on air? Yeah, yeah. So you know, one of the things that we talked a lot about in this group, and we talked a lot with the um, Missouri School uh, Plant Managers Association, is who's performing the assessments on your HVAC systems, and and what are their qualifications to perform those assessments and do they even have the knowledge to know what they're looking at um, and to be able to, to address what's needed and, and have those skills. So that's one of the things that we've asked the board members to ask, who's doing that? Um, because I think we found there's some schools that they're pulling someone off the street to be their facilities person that's not skilled or educated in that area. I have a feeling, Kyle, yeah. they didn't just pull you off the street. <laughs> no, no, I've been doing it for a long time anyway. Um, and I don't remember what I told you, Amy, honestly, but um, I'll tell you, when I, going back to what you asked earlier, Dave, about the things we learned, um, this is a bigger umbrella statement, but the biggest thing I've learned is that it's a, we have a psychological, um, you know, issue here you know the general psychology of people is that we are trying to do something we all want to do something to help protect ourselves to improve our environment that's just in all of our nature and so people have the best intentions but their intentions are trying to help themselves stay healthy and they're looking for anything they can to help support that and so that's where, as Amy mentioned, this predatory marketing, you know, products and things, all this stuff that's out there, people are reaching with good intentions and trying to do whatever they can. And so we've been trying to educate school districts, the school boards to just understand the bigger picture of these decisions they make. And I'll just throw out you know, the biggest conversation that I think most of us have gotten into is portable air cleaning devices. And they're, they are highly effective in month one. Um, the first month you have that thing running, they work great. They have a HEPA filter. Um, there's lots of different means. Some of them use ionization or UV. Um, but what are you going to do um, in month two when you need to replace the filter? 
And have you really even evaluated the amount of airflow through the unit? Do you know that it is even doing an adequate job for the volume of air in your room? Um, is there a supply chain that can keep you up with filters? Because like we said, there's a psychology of the unit and you got a little green light on on this unit. I'm making that up. but well, so, you know, so if you have the green light, it's doing something, huh? Yeah, and everybody feels good with the green lights on. But what happens when the light goes red and it tells you you need to change a filter? And, and you don't have the budget to get them. You don't either have the budget or they tell you it's six months to get it. You know, and so um, right. it's <laughs> supply chain's difficult. The cost, the units we looked at were anywhere from 30 to $40 a filter. And you take that times every classroom in our district every month. It, it's a tremendous budget that would be required to support that. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip this back over here because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've been an, an asthma sufferer since my mid-20s. Uh, and as you can tell, folks, I'm not in my mid-20s any longer. You know, it went to COPD. When you tell me a $40 filter, I say, who cares? It's my life. You know, if you're trying to educate kids in a classroom, what's 40 bucks? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, people, um, every district has to make their decision on their budgets. And the, the ESSER funding that was handed down through federal government to the states uh, mm -hmm. provided a great one-time resource uh, for people to develop initiatives with um, for indoor air quality. And so um, that's part of that education we're trying to provide. If a district decides that 45 filter is $45 filter, if that's a good thing and they want to support that, they can buy the devices in month one. Um, we just want them to understand that there's a long-term funding commitment they need to be ready to support. And I, and I think this goes to it. And, and Luke, you probably have seen some of this where, you know, people were throwing all kinds of chemicals out during the last two and a half years. Uh, a $40, $45, even a $55 filter would have been far better than a lot of these chemical things that we were throwing. I, I would agree with that, but I'm going to kind of be the contrarian here when we talk about these HEPA filters, because in many cases, from what I've seen, um, the districts didn't even really have a choice. Parents were actually purchasing filters and sending them to school and having them put and placed in their child's classrooms. So now Kyle has 50 different air purifiers that he's having to deal with, with 50 different filters, 50 different maintenance cycles. Some may have UV, which will produce ozone as that bulb starts to deteriorate. So now we're producing an indoor air quality hazard right. in ozone, right. indoor, you know, inside where our students are learning. The other thing that I'm just going to throw out there is, to me, that investment in a good HVAC system we know it's going to last 18 to 20 to 22 years. That's going to give the district not only the ability to upgrade their filtration if they're so inclined, but they're going to have better control over their systems because a newer system is going to have better control systems so they can better manage their systems. If I'm putting a portable device in, I don't know if that's going to last more than five years, you know, as far as just that device itself. Plus all the filter changes, plus all those other things. We're not, we haven't even talked about them being improperly sized yet. And we haven't even talked about the noise that's generated from that filter, which may disrupt learning in that classroom as well. So to me, I just think there's, there's more bang for your buck if you can focus on those HVAC systems 
make sure and again this would go back to kyle's checklist if you look at what that facilities manager's checklist is it's focusing on the systems that serve the building and if we do that we're serving everybody in the building literally you know student one to staff number 67 and to me that's just a better investment long term than when we put 55 portable air cleaners in classrooms. And I think we also have to discuss just one more thing before I'll jump off this horse here. But the, the other thing I just want to discuss in each of these classrooms, do we really need to have a sterile environment like we have in a surgical room? I would contend no. Um, really the spaces where I would recommend portable air cleaners if we were um, inclined to use them would be in those high risk areas like the nurse's office um, where he or she may be dealing with students without masks or maybe coming in with a pre-COVID diagnosis, you know, and they're expressing symptomology. Maybe in the music room where we're singing and expelling a lot of aerosols. Um, I would focus on what are our high risk areas initially for the HEPA filtration if we decide to go that route before I really put one in every single room in the building. Well, you got me to thinking, Luke. I'm thinking about the weight room, the boys' locker room, uh, the wrestling room. Uh, those are places where we're, you know, I, I, I work with all kinds of different facilities here at the academy. And, you know, whenever I, I, I talk to people that, you know, with the health clubs, I'm, I'm telling them, why is there dust laying on the floor? I mean... Right. Dust carries so much of these pathogens from the air up here all the way down. It's all getting into our breathing zone. It's in its negative IAQ. And we've got dust. And I say, you're at a health club. People are here to be healthy and they're breathing. They're exhausting. They're, they're pulling air in and out at a much larger rate. But, you know, I, I think about what you were saying there, Luke, and I mean, I feel for you, Kyle, whenever he says you got 50 different ones. <laughs> Not um, quite that many, but yeah, yeah, it was a good point, though. <laughs> but, but, but to that point, we do not allow people to bring in chemicals and use chemicals uh, that they bring from home into our, our public. We're responsible. I think what we're all talking about here is uniformity, control, but it has to be from an educational standpoint. Amy, you're really shaking your head on that one. Well, I think it goes back, I think either Kyle or Luke mentioned this earlier, is that schools need to understand they need to have an effective and enduring IAQ management plan. And that just should be embedded in this is how we do business. This right. is how we budget. It's it's part of that overall of this is how we do business. And we just need to get schools to think about that. And I know in working with educators, educators like to see the research and the science behind what they're doing. So I think if we can show them that more and get them to embed this in how they do business, the better off and the better understanding they're going to have about not allowing parents to just bring all that stuff in and letting teachers do that. And I no, think Mark, we have Mark, to do Mark, a better Mark. job, Dave, of speaking the administrator's language, too. They're yes. typically looking at return on investment. Yeah. So if we can frame our arguments to show that it either saves the district money or makes the district money. And in the state of Missouri, every day that that child is sitting in the seat, the state gets paid. So if attendance rates go up, technically good indoor air quality actually provides revenue. So again, I think we also need to do a better job of speaking 
the language of the people we're trying to communicate with so that they they take away what we want to take away but it's in their terminology and their their kind of their what they're interested in which in oftentimes is has to do with money luke i spent 35 years in the state of missouri working with school districts all the way from uh the small schools that margie was talking about earlier you know the the, <clears throat> the rural education uh all the way up to one of those four that you were talking about as well. I knew the school nurse at all of these locations because she or he knew exactly what the issues were from keeping the kids in that. Uh, but asthma isn't the only respiratory issue that we have. I know we've talked about asthma here and we talked about COVID, but folks, you know, it's a, you know, I, I think one of the good studies I was, <clears throat> you know, I learned one third of a community's uh, individuals goes through a public school building every single day that it's open. One third of a community's individuals go through a public school. There is not a, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here. There's not another facility in your community that sees that many people every day. And there's not other facilities that are as densely occupied. When you think and of so a classroom in that size of space and putting 25 kids in that classroom, an office, you put five people in that same space. Correct. So I, I'm thinking, you know, Margie, you've got to see yeah. not just asthma. Oh, yeah. No. No, we, had, we say that uh, in, in Missouri, uh, nationally, they say 25% uh, of the kids in a, in a school setting have a chronic health condition. In Missouri, we keep our data. We keep a lot of data. And we know that it's 42% um, of our kids have a chronic health condition in the school setting. Okay, so uh, for the lay people listening, Margie, please explain chronic. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is extremely okay. important. Well, a chronic health condition would be our, our major ones in Missouri are, and and and, and nationally are uh, asthma, life-threatening allergies, diabetes, um, uh, seizures, epilepsy, and um, sickle cell anemia is coming way up there now. But these are the these are the health and ADHD, and so uh, ADHD and and anxiety. We have a lot of mental health concerns right now. We've always had mental health concerns. After the pandemic, we have more. An increased number of children are experiencing depression and anxiety. Both of these things, all of these things are in fact, are affected and impacted by your environment. Uh, their sensory, uh, our sensory environment is very much impacted by our chronic health conditions. I can so, tell you as a person that has COPD, mm -hmm. if I can't get air right, I shut down mentally and when i shut down mentally you don't want to be around me i'm usually a nice person to be around <laughs> right but when i can't get air folks i get very vicious uh, and they're very anxious and you know we're yes. just talking about our children and think about our grown-ups the, the teachers and staff that are in our school settings they have a lot of chronic health conditions and more and more important a lot of cardiovascular diseases as well so um we, we, you know, we like to think of our schools as being a place where everyone's happy, active and learning, but we have, uh, and they are, but they're also managing a lot of chronic health conditions. You know, kind of what's interesting here is uh, everybody, when we got on the podcast said, 
Well, you know, I think we'll probably go for 20 or 30 minutes, folks. We've almost went an hour. <laughs> and I think we could still keep talking about the issues, right? So I think we might have beat most everybody's issue a little bit today on this podcast. Folks, we're going to actually be doing three more podcasts here in the next few months. Uh, maybe not just all the same team, Amy. Maybe you get some other individuals. Maybe. Look forward to what we're going to have. We're going to have some exciting stuff. Well, um, let's, let, let's, let's get a parting comment from each person before we end this podcast today. All right. Well, I want to say thank you to our listeners. And I hope I hope there are some tidbits that our listeners can take away from this to easily um, start implementing a clean air, positive indoor air quality environment. Um, all of us can be a resource. Um, but our goal is, is that if you can take you can take away something where you can start doing something. Um, that's my motivating thing is at least let's, let's just get people motivated to start doing, um, things to create those positive environments. And I want to guess, I want to see that, that cheat sheet that Margie start. Kept talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I will add the, uh, the other hat I wear is, uh, being heavily involved and on the board of the Missouri school plant managers association. And, um, we support the school facilities personnel, um, throughout the state. And so if anyone needs further support, feel free, reach out to me personally, or you can go to mspma.com and find your regional representative uh, to help find you solve some problems. Thank you. And I think several of us will actually be together at the conference. Uh, let's throw the, uh, do you have the dates for that and the location? The conference is in Branson. Uh, conference starts um, on September 18th in the evening um, and runs through September 19th and 20th. And it'll be at the Branson Hilton Convention Center. And this conference isn't new. This conference has been, I honestly don't know when it starts, oh, has started over 20 years ago. Uh, it's been a long-standing, um, great organization to help support school facilities. Now, Margie, I don't know. Are you going to be there with us? Uh, I, I, it wasn't on my it wasn't on my dance card. But, uh, <laughs> Get on that motorcycle, Margie. Come on down. Yeah, I, I, now, now, folks, you might have saw, saw the motorcycle in in the background with Margie. I had to ask her before we got on the air. Um, that is not a um, uh, uh, Harley. It is not an Indian. It's a. It's a it's a BMW, British Motor Work. And what year? Nineteen twenty four. So see, I, I knew that some of the people watching would be actually be have looked at that for the last hour <laughs> and probably wanted. So I want to make sure we told people <laughs> and folks if you're listening to the podcast. Um, I don't know, maybe we can get Margie to send a picture of it and we can put it on the <laughs> podcast notes. So if I were to give a closing comment, I think Dave, you asked for that. And I would just say the most important thing is that uh, school nurses, uh, we often thought of as a health professional. We are a, we are a member of a team. We're not working alone. We need everyone's help. 
I truly believe that when we sit at a table together with administration and plant managers and our public health folks and our school nurses and a pediatrician, um, we get a, a much better, much broader approach to our work, our shared work. And our shared work is healthy communities and healthy kids. And I, I think, I really think Missouri's got, uh, got some really great things going. And I'm proud to live in Missouri and be a part of this team. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. We'll miss you in a couple of weeks, but we'll make up for it <laughs> on one of the other podcasts. <laughs> you know, Luke, as I, as I heard Margie talk and, and uh, Dr. Freeman earlier, um, we aren't in this by ourselves. We can't do it by ourselves. It does take a team. And I think that's what this podcast and the ones that we'll be doing has kind of been about. Do uh, you see that too? I definitely do. Um, all of these groups reach out at different times um, to Dr. Friedman via the PESU. And just I appreciate Dave and Amy the opportunity to be here today to talk about some of the things that we've been able to talk about and what we'll be able to talk about in the future. And then I just like Marjorie want to want to kind of echo what her sentiment is. I really think the state of Missouri right now is doing things when we look at the whole state and the groups involved, they're doing things that right now I think put them ahead of the curve um, when we talk nationally. And I think when you have the administrators, the healthcare providers and the plant managers all sitting down at this table, the only thing that's going to come out of this is good. And, um, and, and what we talk about good is again, healthy kids, healthy staff, better opportunities for learning, um, all those other things. And again, it's just been a pleasure working with these people. Um, and again, I'm just excited to continue to work on the great things we're doing in the state of Missouri. Um, and hopefully we'll have more exciting news to report after another year of activity. So, yeah. And, and I think we all will learn um, together as we go through uh, this school year, 22-23, of what things, and I think Marjorie, to what you had said earlier, we will have some more comparative data uh, to use uh, that Amy and the administrators can can use, and then Kyle can put into the assessments. And <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested to see what we could, uh, what we'll be talking about next year this time. Right. Yeah. Right. Me too. So we always yeah. tell our school nurses that without data, you're just another person with an opinion. <laughs> and so, <laughs> we want to keep data, and I, Kyle, Kyle began telling us, okay, they told us to do these things, I'm going to measure it, I'm going to test it. Yep. That's what, we, it, it, it truly is the show me state, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I tell people all the time in my classes here, um, and, and folks, you've heard from everybody, everybody's in Missouri. Now, I also said I'm not in Missouri any longer, uh, I'm now in Florida. Yes, that's what I do now. But, you know, I think the thing is, is whenever I'm talking education to students here uh, in the cleaning industry, they go, well, how come you're saying that? You know, where, what book did you get that out? I didn't get it out of a book. I put it into practice. I watched. I saw people do it. And a lot of what I did was learning by watching people doing things in those classrooms, in the halls, in the gym, in the weight room. I can talk about these things with you because they did it. I watched what was happening and then I just put it into an educational course. So it's tried, it's true, it's practice, but it changes. It always is changing. And I think that's the thing with education 
we always have to stay on top of it. I mean, here I am. I kind of feel like I'm preaching to the choir. You're all in education anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, uh, I'm going to do a little closer here. If you want to stay on while I close, fine. If you need to go, I understand. If you've been listening to our podcast, you will see in the show notes right below uh, will be all the links to everybody's email addresses, their location, uh, their place of business. Um, if you're watching on the video cast, we would love to have you subscribe. That way, whenever the next podcast is aired, you'll automatically get a link. This is what Kyle and I did when we first came on. He said, where is that? And he found it. And I said, subscribe. That way you'll know when the next one comes up. If you're on the podcast, do the same thing. Subscribe to the channel. Um, you know, podcasting is an interesting thing. It's the modern day radio show that never goes away. So stay tuned for the next show. Now, if you heard something today that made you go, hmm, I never thought about that. Or, Ooh, wait a minute, I got an opinion. Or if you're kind of like Kyle and, and you had some of those things thrown at you and you don't use them anymore, whatever the discussion is, please, 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 here is my email address going right across the bottom. Send me your communication. Why do I say this? This is where the cleaning industry talks, but nobody really wants to talk. So please talk with me. I'll get that to the panel. We'll discuss it. And who knows? Maybe your question will get answered on our next podcast. If you don't know where the channel is, it is at academyofcleaning.com. That's where you'll find our channel. The YouTube is hashtag Academy of Clean. The podcast is beyondcleanwithace.com. We thank you very much for being here. Now, one of the things I usually throw at all of my guests, speakers, at the last minute before I close is two questions. And none of my speakers here in front of me know that I'm coming up with this. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> so if you stayed with me, hang tight. You're going to get to learn something here. I'm going to start with Amy. Where were you born? Springfield, Missouri. Margie? Charlotte, North Carolina. Kyle? Altus, Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Hey, Luke? Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, now I have to know where a few of those places are. Uh, but we won't go into that. Now, here's my <laughs> second question. <laughs> and we'll go in the same order. What is on your bucket list personally for this year? Ooh. Now, we ain't got a lot of time left in the year. So what is on your personal, but not business, or having to do with anybody else that you want to do your personal bucket list, Amy? To find me a condo on the beach in the Gulf. Well, I can get you set up here in Florida. We got all kinds of them. <laughs> we'll talk, Dave. <laughs> all right. Margie? I want to see a laser light show in person. Um, have you... Um, uh, uh, well, gosh, I, I'm thinking of one crazy horse has an absolute wonderful laser light show uh, up there. I've seen it three times. What Kyle? Is crazy horse? Aha. See, now you got to look that up. Okay, Kyle. <laughs> I don't know if it's a bucket list, but it's a lot of work. We're looking to buy a new house this year, so <laughs> that's going to be a job. 
Oh, now that there, there we go. <laughs> and Luke, uh, I'm finishing up some projects on a farm that I own. So now you might ask, why did I ask these questions, and what was all of that about? Well, here at our podcast, Beyond Clean with Ace, we don't talk about just cleaning. We all have personal lives. We all do more than clean. And in today's discussion, we do more than just worry about your indoor air quality. These are all things that we do for work. But you know what? It's all about people. Now we know where everybody here was born. We know what they want to get accomplished this year. We don't know where their life is going to end. But what we'd like for you to do is make sure that you keep your journey of life healthy, positive, and proactive. So folks, until we see you on the airwaves again, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you.